go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! Stop me Star leaping through the sky like a tiger defying the laws of gravity. I'm a racing car passing by like Lady Godiva. I'm gonna go. Well, that escalated quickly, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. This time last week, I was watching Hamilton, and I was uh, I was saying to myself, I am I know I am taking a risk by even being in this theater tonight, but it is the last nice thing I'm going to have for a long time. And man, I don't I don't even think I believed that to the extent that this whole week went by. It was totally nuts, and. We actually deal, my um, job, we deal with Mervish, so we were kind of waiting for the word. And then when they said that, you know, everything shut down, (laughs) like, okay. And I saw your post, and I was like, oh, he's so lucky. (laughs) He got in there, you know? Just right before the wire. Because, like, really, truly, we have reached the stage where I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Every day is something new. Greetings and salutations. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to the first of a matinee cast presentation of the Winchester Chronicles. In case you skipped the introduction audio last week, here is our mission statement. COVID-19 is affecting everybody's lives, and that includes being able to go to the movies. That means our usual discussions of cinematic passion and perspective need to wait for a while. However, it doesn't mean the overall film discussion has to stop. So while we wait for the whole thing to blow over, we ne- we virtually sit here in our own virtual Winchester pub and turn our attention to the best films of a decade gone by. And we are starting with a humdinger. To get the ball rolling, I turn to a woman I always love bringing on this show, whether it's to shake our heads at the stunning but slipshod life of wellness or to bask in the subversive beauty of us. She's a fabulous writer uh, and a very clever woman whose works you can find on A View from the Dark, and she's heavily involved with Blood in the Snow Film Festival. Carolyn Morissette is here. How are you, Carolyn Morissette? Hello, I'm good. I'm, we're in lockdown, but we're good. <laughs> yeah, this is. I think this is the first time that I've done a show with a local guest over Skype. I, I, to, to all of our listeners, um, we are practicing social distancing uh, because we both want to be safe. Um, you know, like we, we we're not taking any chances here, so it's a little bit strange. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're keeping you're keeping yourself, and I'm keeping myself, and we're keeping hydrated and spirits up, and we're gonna do this on our first dispatch of the wind. Winchester Chronicles, we will be discussing the Babadook. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side because that's what we do. But first, we are going to start a new segment rather than doing a whole Know Your Enemy feature on guests that listeners of the show probably know before. We are going to turn our attention to what we're doing uh, during the time of this pandemic in a segment that we're going to call Creature Comforts. So Creature Comforts, what I'm uh, after is with every guest that comes on this series, um, you know, while we are uh, secluded, I'm interested in 
what people are um, passing the time with, what they're choosing, because I, I feel like this is going to be the time of more deliberate choices. Um, Carolyn, though, so what, what, have you, uh, what have you been watching uh, while you've been in lockdown mode? Uh, well, kind of, it's kind of weird, but um, I, I've been watching apartment tours on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I find it fascinating, um, especially people who live in a very small square footage, because I just like to see what they're doing, and I'm getting decorating ideas, because I'm kind of um, upcycling things I have at home, uh, so that, um, makeup tutorials, because I, I'm an ex-makeup artist, and it enrages me to see the young young gals putting six pounds of makeup on their face. I don't know, but and at the same time, it, it's soothing. It's weird. You should you well, should check it out. It's very strange. Okay, I mean, it's it's yeah. It, it's funny because okay, first of all, did not expect either one of those. Um, so well done. Um, but okay, so I'm gonna start with the makeup tutorials. It's a whole uh, not a subculture, but it's it's a whole channel unto itself. It's an industry, really, right? Because it, it, it is it just the same way that there are people who write, the same way that there are people who podcast, obviously. There are people who their entire online presence is about makeup and um, it's it's this, it's this interesting thing because on the one hand, it's certainly an art. Um, it's an expression of fashion, of style. Uh, it's got all kinds of facets to it because there are some that are doing it in a really um, high art kind of way that are doing like really crazy things with colors and dramatic looks. And there are other way, there are other people who are like, okay, so, you know, you're going for the job interview lunch. This is what you want to look like. These are the colors, you know, like it's, it's, it's got a lot of facets to it. And these gals somehow make money. So, I, you know, but I admire them. There's actually a couple that I really enjoy because they're actually, um, they're hilarious. <laughs> so it's more what they're saying as opposed to what they're doing. Um, but yeah, it's kind of fascinates me. And I've been watching, I've been catching up with Westworld because I have to start watching the new season. So, yeah. So, okay. I, I watch Westworld as well. And uh, Westworld, I, I did watch the beginning of the third season. It's been, I mean, it's crazy because it's been two years since they were last on. Like they weren't on in 2019 at all, um, which is understandable because it's a really expensive show um, that, that probably takes a long time to make. So the thing is, though, is that in the time in between season two and season three, I have forgotten a lot. I watched that premiere of season three, which obviously you haven't got to yet. And I just kind of approached it. The same way I approached The Wire when I first started or even Game of Thrones when I first started, which is I get what I get and what I don't understand. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to keep on stopping and trying to piece it together. I'm just going to keep the line moving and hope it all absorbs. Uh, where Whereabouts are you in your Westworld rewatch? So I am on uh, season two, and I think it's the sixth episode. It's after the whole um, Japanese, like... Uh, shogun type uh, episode okay so it's that one yeah so uh i just kind of watched half of the sixth episode last night um and i just 
I was saying to my sister how what a beautiful show. The production is just incredible. No wonder they take so long because it, it looks expensive. It's gorgeous. It's like a film unto itself, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it, it's, it's just stunning. Yeah. And it, it, what I like about the show is um, a friend of my show actually um, she, she tapped out early on because she she said when she was watching season one, uh, it seemed too misogynistic and i mean in a lot of ways it still is but i did i have been enjoying the way that season two really seems to respond to that like the the female hosts uh, as season two progresses are really very much about taking the power back yeah absolutely that's what i was actually thinking about that i was watching as i was watching um the episodes and I was like oh yeah because I remember there was talk about it being misogynistic and not that great with the female characters but the second season really redeems itself with that um Mm. and I I love Tandy Newton I I love her so much I have to watch everything she's in that's that's one of the things I love about television these days is the way that they reclaim actors that you'd kind of forgotten about you know so like like tandy newton kind of had that quick moment at the beginning of the century like she kind of seemed like she was going to be the next it girl with uh with mission impossible 2 and then you know she kind of popped up now and then in 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 film but didn't really uh ever get a go of it now it's kind of it's kind of interesting i should say Uh, the story of of weinstein and miramax has has unfolded it's becoming clearer and clearer how many of these actors, these female actors were blackballed, you know, as, yeah. as, as, just because they didn't want to dress up for a premiere or because they didn't want to give favors or something like that. So now every time I talk about a, a female actor whose career looked like it was on the rise and then just kind of all of a sudden fizzled in the back of my brain, I'm thinking, which dumbass producer blackballed that woman because she didn't want to play the game? Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, I, and I wonder if Tandy Newton yeah. is one of those. So she was in a show, and I think it was called Rogue. And I love that show because she was kind of like this double agent. Um, and she was dealing with these like really crusty like mob-like characters. And she was just kick-ass. And I hmm. love that show. Um and I think it maybe the second, I think it had three seasons. And the third season kind of lost me, but I had to watch her. Like, I had to see her, I don't know, do her thing. Because as you were saying, I hadn't seen her in anything in ages. Yeah, and she's so, so good. Yeah, and it's true. Like, and she's so good. And it's true. You wonder, like, I just saw um, that Underworld underworld actress. What's her name? Oh, Kate, Kate Beckinsale. Uh, yeah, that, and that yeah, was Beck- I read yeah. that story and I thought to myself yeah. how little I'd seen Beckinsale in over like the last 10 years when she certainly yeah. seemed to be one of those actors that they were grooming to be the next, you know, the next big thing. Yeah, and then now you see like that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully this is like a turn for the good. That's, <laughs> you that's know, my hope. People... That's certainly my yeah. hope. Well, Westworld and makeup tutorials would certainly be uh, pretty good creature comforts. I, so far, uh, as of um, Dispatch number one, I've been watching the first season of Succession. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that show? No. Um, <laughs> think I was trying to think who's in that. Oh, it's got a great cast. Brian Cox is the patriarch of the family. Um, Jeremy Strong, whose star is on the rise these days. Kieran Culkin is in it. Um, (laughs) Alan Ruck plays a really good uh, passive-aggressive, like, 
act, a brother who never wants to get involved in the fray. Matthew McFadden plays a real weasel of a of a basically an in law. Sarah Snook is the is one of the leads yeah. as well. It's it's um. I didn't. I was. I'm late to this part. I'm a little bit late to this party. Look, the show is about two years old now. It started in 2018, but I wasn't really watching it as it dropped. I, I'm. I'm often uh, at least half a season, if not a whole season, late to the sh- late to the party because I hate getting attached to shows that don't then get picked up. Right. Yeah, so you know. So yeah. I, I wasn't. I didn't latch onto Succession really quickly, but I, I've heard a lot of people say really great things about it, and it seemed like you know something to start, like some, something that I could I could spend twenty hours or so with for however long I'm going to be spending every night at home. Uh, dear listener, let me tell you, I had a lot of plans canceled for this time that we're all going to be inside, including tonight. Um, so I, I was looking for something that could really carry me over. And I was like, okay, here's something that's got 20 episodes down. Um, it's strange to choose as a creature comfort because I'm watching extremely rich people be absolutely terrible to each other. <laughs> you know, it's like reality TV. <laughs> kind of, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, if there's, yeah, oh my god, if, if there's yeah. two things I don't really want to spend my time with right now, it's the super rich and people who are mean to each other. And here I've bundled them both together. I mean, <laughs> you know, the first episode at the end of the first episode, the patriarch uh, Brian Cox, he has some sort of like an aneurysm, and he falls into a coma. So when see when episode two comes around, he gets moved to this like super duper mac daddy suite in a in a downtown manhattan hospital and the suite that he yeah like the he's in a like he's in a normal hospital room with lots of space and the family is in this basically like hotel lounge the two spaces combined are probably four times the size of my apartment and i just turned to Lindsay, my wife and said is this how rich people coma (laughs) oh my god i guess (laughs) But yeah, it's it's just I, I've I, like I don't know why I'm I'm so amused and fascinated by these people being just so terrible to each other. Kieran Culkin is is just such a dick. Uh, the 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 now kind of like next in line of the family, Jeremy Strong. I just love everything Jeremy Strong is in. I think I first right. I, I first came across him in. Um, masters of sex a few years ago uh he was in the final season of that and ever since then he's he's kind of been a that guy like he pops up in a lot of things as a lot of different types of characters and i think that's kind of why i dig him is he's versatile he's always sort of playing a different type of dude and um yeah he's he's really kind of pulling me through this show just watching Watching his moves, watching the way he talks, watching the way this whole family is just basically eating itself alive while this multi-billion-dollar company hangs in the balance. It's it's absurd that I like it. Maybe I like it because I'm watching a whole bunch of really rich people, you know, fight to see who can fail the fastest. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. That yeah. That's. That's kind of enjoyable when you uh, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's handsome. I mean, you know, like every once in a while, I'll see something and I'll still shake my head at holy shit, rich people get to do this. But it's it's really handsome. It gets off some really clever lines. Um, you you know the it's it's like Shakespearean drama in terms of these people 
being so cutthroat with one another and i'm really enjoying it there we go that's our creature comforts uh we do have a movie to talk about and because it's a movie that's a few years old we are going to get spoilerific so please do consider yourself warned we are going to talk about these films as a complete work um all of the films that we're going to talk about on this show are readily available for home viewing so just kind of the nature that we're choosing these movies should nudge you towards them um and maybe you kind of get part way through our discussion and realize that you want to go give them either a watch for the first time or rewatch but we will be talking about them as a complete work um including spoiling all sorts of things about them so please consider yourself warned but come on back after this the feature for this chronicle is the babadook what do you want from me why don't you run from me what are you wondering what do you know why aren't you scared of me why do you care for me when we all fall asleep where do we go come here say it spit it out what is it exactly? The Babadook is directed and written by Jennifer Kent. It stars Essie Davis and Noah Weissman. The Babadook is the story of Amelia Vanek. Six years ago, Amelia's life was turned upside down when she and her husband got into a car to drive to the hospital to give birth to their first child. That drive would result in an auto collision taking the life of Amelia's husband, Oscar. Six years on, Amelia is doing her very best. She's trying to keep it together in an underpaying job, a shabby little house, and a son who's got a lot of anxieties. One night, Sam brings her a new book from the shelf to read as a bedtime story. The book is called The Babadook, and, well, it's freaky as can be. While Amelia tries to put the book out of sight, out of mind, and move forward, it doesn't seem to be that easy. First, the book starts making its way back to her over and over, and then the boogeyman at the heart of the story, the Babadook himself, comes knocking just when you thought there was no such thing as monsters in the closet. I want to start this conversation by taking a half step back. You, Miss Morissette, are a devotee of horror. Uh-huh. You are a fan, you are a published critic and an author of the genre. You are a programmer of a film festival. Your pedigree is beyond reproach. You, I'm sure, saw a chatter from the peanut gallery in recent times about how horror quote, took a step forward in the last decade, end quote. Do you believe that that is true? And if so, how, if not, why? I think that horror, uh, people have been approaching horror in a different way. Um, So one of my favorite movies is Rosemary's Baby. And Mm. that film approaches horror in a realistic way. Like, uh, you could see, you could either think she's, um, you know, uh, Rosemary Woodhouse is uh, suffering from mental illness, or she could be, you know, the the target of this, this witch's coven. So that had like a, a, a lot of dimension to it. Um, also, uh, Polanski brought um, uh, Ira Levine's book to life by by sticking really close to the book. So that kind of um, dealt with reality and fantasy at the same time. Um, and I think that horror in the last decade has been doing that as well. Um, there hasn't been so much focus on the slasher and the final girl in that respect. So I think in a way, horror has a different approach or, or filmmakers have a different approach to horror. That's what I've noticed. Um, mm-hmm. because for instance, like us or like um, Get Out or um, The Witch or, you know, it's just 
like they 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 find a bit of reality and and pull the horror from it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like I one of the things I like about the fact that we're starting this series with a horror film is that, you know, if we're looking at the decade just gone, it was the decade where I learned to fully embrace horror film. I did not care much for it coming into coming into this decade. I was never really taught as a child how to process fear and it was an emotion that i didn't really enjoy especially movies like this that mess with your head i really couldn't handle monsters in the closet you know or i could not handle slashers and blood and and viscera i really 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 could not handle anything that messes with my head you know i had i stood a better chance with watching blood and guts than I did with something getting into my mind and really screwing around there Um, until, you know, I, this, this, this last decade, I was in my thirties and I did a little bit more thinking and a little bit more understanding about what it means to be afraid, what it means to do that in a controlled setting. And I began to appreciate the art form for what it for what it does and what it is and what it can be there's still lots about it i don't care for um but when it is done well um it it does something to me that it didn't do when i was younger and that's that's very very new still for me so i mean as an outsider the one thing i i would say is to anybody who says that horror took a step forward it might just be that a lot of those movies that you talked about, like The Witch and um, Hereditary, I think is another one that we could probably pile in here and yeah. us and get mm-hmm. out. They start. They they all kind of came out around the same time, and they were approaching um, different ideas. They were pro- they were approaching social ideas. They were approaching anxieties. They were approaching things that we've been thinking about but haven't been able to say out loud and they all just kind of it was kind of like a wave they all just kind of seemed to happen around the same time um and happen also at a time where the toys are getting cheaper like it's you know it's it's not a lie to say that the reason why so many horror films are made and let's be honest not a lot of them get seen um but why so many of them get made is because they're relatively cheap to make Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock. It's just, hey, listen, if you've got a thousand dollars, one camera and a cast of three, you can make a movie, right? If you just find a scary find a scary basement, you can make a scary movie. Um, they're relatively cheap to make. And now what has happened is the toys to capture these uh inexpensive productions have have escalated to the fact that you can now make something that looks handsome on the cheap as well. So I think that may also be part of it as well as along with the themes that these directors like Asi Aster and um, Jordan Peele and uh, Jennifer Kent, who directed this film, along with the ideas that they are exploring, they're getting to capture their ideas in a way that makes them look more handsome. And that seems to bring more eyes to the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, 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 I I interviewed the um, special effects uh, artist for Hereditary, mm. and um, and he uh, he was saying like they went through a lot and they did a lot of a lot of prosthetics, they did a lot of gore, and he said because they pulled it back a bit um, when they were looking at the the dailies and, and looking at, at what they had done, they actually scaled it back and they thought that that was a bit, that was a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's, 
that's really true um and that really brings out the the i guess the true horror for a, a wider audience because everybody expects a horror movie to be like exploding heads and you know viscera and and blood and, and like the monster but when it starts to hit you um in a place where you don't expect it you know like with um families and and you know the workplace and 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 society that's where it gets you so it's not as you're you're right like you can make a film it has to be obviously you have to have a good story but you can make a film on the cheap without all the extra bells and whistles you know so yeah yeah yeah, i do when i asked you about your favorite films of the decade this was one of the ones that just really jumped out at me um as far as 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 film in general goes because it was also on my list of film of some of the best films of the decade and you know just film first full stop what is it about the babadook for you that jumps out as and makes it one of the best films of the decade um for me i think there was a lot of buzz when when uh it was going to come out uh there was a lot of buzz there was a lot of stuff happening on twitter um and i was reading a lot about it uh, it was a female director, and there was there was a monster. And I, I love my monsters, I have to admit. <laughs> I, uh, there's a monster in it, I'm up on that. Right. Um, and then it came to Toronto After Dark, and so I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to finally see it. And um, I think, for me, it was so unexpected, um, the amount of, of, like, just like, a, you could feel it in your gut. It was a gut feeling of fear from this film. Um, and also... I, I had the chance to see it in a theater uh, with a festival crowd, and just the sound design and the bombastic like sound of the Babadook, and uh, it, that was unexpected for me. I, I didn't really think that it was going to hit me in that way, because mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, like if you're, um, say you're you're walking and and you hear like a train approaching you and it's like a really quiet night and then you hear that kind of invasive loud noise to me that's that's actually kind of terrifying or if you're out you know alone and you hear a really loud noise that's really terrifying for me so when i when that happened with this film uh, it really struck me and it's a film that i'm always going to remember and also se davis's performance she was robbed. She should have won something, you know? <laughs> Anything, so, yeah. Like, I, her performance always will stay with me because it was so, she was so wrought with emotion and, like, just anxiety and just, like, it just was, it just went to the nth degree with her emotion. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I I don't, I, I, I remember hearing about it on a podcast. Um, I want to say that I, I heard it on, um, uh, this is back when uh, Operation Kino was still around. Operation Kino is now uh, fighting in the war room. And when it was Op Kino, um, I, I heard Matt Patches talk about the Babadook. And he had seen it at a similar film festival. Now, by the time I caught up with it, uh, it was not making the rounds in theaters anymore. Like I saw it either on demand or on uh, on iTunes. I watched it at home. And that is mm-hmm. the one thing I do... Um, miss and regret of all the films that I caught up with this past decade is that this one I never got a chance to see in a theater. For, forget about a crowd. Like, listen, a crowd is incredible and a crowd can yeah. really lift one of these movies and just turn it into a party. But 
a film like this and the craft and design that goes into every part of it, like this movie is just I mean, this movie is edited within an inch of its life to really make you feel how fraught that uh, that the lead actress is and how, you know, just at sixes and sevens she is with her son. Um, all of it. I do wish I had a scene in a theatrical um, environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does add to the experience. And I actually felt like I can feel like the, the Baba Duke when he like talks, you <laughs> can feel it in your chair. And like that for me, that's an experience. So, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these great horror films, you know, the, 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 the what I think like you said with Rosemary's Baby, what's really interesting is a lot of the really best horror films are not just about scaring you. They're really about something else. And the one key difference from watching this in 2014 when I first saw it and rewatching it this week is really and truly getting an understanding for it as a metaphor for grief. And it's it's bonkers because that second chapter makes it crystal clear because the second chapter of this book the, this book that she gets rid of and comes back to her like a boomerang um mm -hmm. with pages added now this the, the pages that get added this the, the second time around they say i'll make you a i'll make a wager with you i'll make you a bet the more you deny the stronger i get and i thought that and like don't get me wrong I got what they were going for the first time out and, and just the, the anxiety and the stress and the grief that, that this widow and mother was going through. I had no personal experience with it, but in between, of course, I now have personal experience with it. And when I read that, I thought to myself, holy shit, that's absolutely positively what it is to grieve. Like there, there's no, okay, I'm done. You know, like that, that's, that's the, what I never understood before is there is no putting that particular boogeyman back in the closet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it might get a little easier to confront, but by no means does it get any less impactful, you know? So yeah, <laughs> that was like, that one line is really quite telling of the whole film itself so was that playing itself up for you when you saw it the first time i think for me i was just anticipating oh monster <laughs> you know, such a monster being right like, yeah 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 um but yeah after because I, I i've watched it like i don't know two or three times and yeah the i guess the second time i've watched it you you really see the grief really or her the lack of dealing with that grief mm -hmm. you really see it you like you're like she's she has no time she had no time to grieve like the the day she loses her husband is the day she gives birth to her son yeah so she's thrown from one situation into another which which immediately I love, which her son is mm -hmm. happy to tell you by the way yeah he's like <laughs> oh hey guess what <laughs> like yeah thanks <laughs> so and and she doesn't even want to deal with that like you know, he's more willing to deal with it than she is, you know? So, I mean, so, I, I, he's certainly willing to articulate it. I don't know if he's yeah, willing to deal, right? To deal with it, yeah. But he'll just say, it. like, I, I don't know. It, I'm, not, I'm not a mother. and um, But, you know, as you were saying, I've dealt with grief as well. And there are just some days where you just, 
you don't want to deal with it, but inevitably something will come up and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, it, yeah. It, is, it is very much that book. Like you can set your mm-hmm. grief on fire. You can close the door on it and, you know, you maybe even can put it out of sight, but it's not leaving you. And I, you know, that, yeah. that was, that was the really, it's, it's crazy because, I unabashedly called this film one of the very best of the decade. And yet up until this week, I'd only ever seen it once. And it it made that impact on me on one shot. And now coming back to it, like, you know, six years later, where things in my life have changed, I'm like, not only is this film incredibly, not only is this film one of the very best of the decade, but I'm getting so much more from it now because of what's happened in my life and how much deeper I can actually relate to this woman. This woman who, by the way, is still going through so much more than I ever did and may ever go through, but still in just that one little change, it's, it, it's kind of added uh, a layer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie also along with the metaphor for grief, it's actually kind of got a great little metaphor for just kind of horror film in general. When it talk, it, it uses um, her son is trying to learn magic and he's watching these DVDs to learn magic tricks and the, the Ricky J uh, uh, like, you know, esque, instructor who's on his video says that life can be a wonderful thing but it can also be rather treacherous and yes yeah. I, I love that so much so that that must have hit for you yeah oh for sure i like that um samuel was always trying to do his uh his uh magic tricks and 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 protect himself and he was so much more aware and i feel like his all the things that he was doing he was trying to like Hey, mom, I'm here. You know, I'm here. Deal with me. And she just wasn't dealing with him either. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, like, he was trying to impress her with his magic tricks. And, uh, and and you know, acting out. I, I You know, I, I must ask one question. <laughs> Is there anything in this movie more terrifying than a group of white mothers trying to talk about, like, how their privilege <laughs> is dimming now that they're mothers? Because really, oh that, really, that is messed up. Yeah, it, that scene was great. <laughs> it was really great because she's like, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there watching yeah. it. I'm like, okay, now I'm scared. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they were really like this judge and jury right in front of her. Oh. You know, it just oh yeah. <laughs> Even the doctor was really judgy with her. You know, everybody like the social workers. Yeah. The that's it, it, the thing is. You see this woman and you listen to her talk and you, you certainly if you listen to the kid tell his story, which, again, he's happy to tell you, you listen to that and your heart should just go out to this woman. But everybody around her is just such a shit, you know, even yeah. her her coworker who, you know, he kind of uses it as an excuse to kind of move in. Yeah. And then it was funny because, you know, when he comes over to her place yeah. and he's got the flowers and uh, what does Samuel do? What's, what does Samuel says something to him, right? Uh, oh, I can't remember what he does, but the the guy, his name's Robbie, I think. Yeah. I think I, yeah, Robbie just kind of looks at like, is this what I'm getting into? And he's like, 
out the door. Yeah. You know? He kind of hightails it because he's, this is too much, you know? Yeah. He's like, he's um, like, I can't, I can't. Nope. I'm, I'm you know, yeah, you're cute and all, but no, I, I'm not signing yeah. up for this. And, and yeah, it's, that tells you everything you need to know about Robbie, right? Like right there, even just the way he takes her shift. It's, it's, you know, you can tell that he's not doing it because he's a good coworker, a good friend. Like the second he does it, you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's your move. Okay. I see. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Woman. <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, I do appreciate that this movie underlines how much we tend not to believe in a terror until we see it. Sam is just screaming bloody murder about the Babadook and um, Amelia is not having any of it. She's like, it's a story. I have no idea what you're talking about. Stop acting like a, 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 a stop acting all you and uh, and you know like behave and then even when she sees it like nobody else around her believes that she's going through something right like she tries to go to the cops and and report like that she's being terrorized her neighbor's not having any of it her co-workers are not having any of it i i hate to say this but it's 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 how we do you know it's it's mm-hmm. we are all so guilty of not Kind of even just like I said, how I didn't entirely understand the grief until I went through it myself. It's mm-hmm. it's it's terrible and sharp all at the same time. Or it's like when you you have like you know somebody or someone with depression, and you're like, oh, you just need to get out for a walk, or oh, you just need to do this, or like you because you're not you don't know what's happening, and and you don't believe it's as bad as it is. Yeah. Until you go through it yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah. I'm guilty it's, of that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's incredible because listen, on the surface, somebody's saying there's a boogeyman that's haunting me <laughs> and he's trying to take my son. It's like, you know, it, 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 yeah, that does not sound right. But like, let's be honest, there's some weird shit in this world Yeah, that we don't entirely understand. And it's, it's, terrible that we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt and that really is what this movie wants to underline along with you know along with the grief and anxiety and depression is that we should put a little bit more faith in each other like put our put a little bit more faith in in our loved ones and and in people who come to us for help oh totally yeah i think that she is she's just numb to everything oh, yeah. and i think like the it's and I think it really shows, um, again, I'm not a mother, but uh, I think that it illustrates um, the traumas of motherhood and and seeing, like, just assuming that a maternal instinct is automatic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not, you have to work at it. I mean, there's some people who are like, yes, oh my God, this is my baby. But in, in specifically in Amelia's circumstance, like, you can't just expect her to deal with the joy of giving birth and the death of her husband, like that's got to have some kind of effect on her. So like you can't expect her to have that, um, that, that typical response, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the one point that is, you know, motherhood, motherhood is not, and I'm sure it's very rewarding and you, there's a lot of joy you get from it, but there's also a lot of uh, anxiety and, 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 you know, you get postpartum depression. There's a lot that comes with it. So there's good and bad. So I'm just and like, I like, yeah, I'm just thinking to myself for something that's had so many books written about it. 
that sells so many copies, it can't be that simple. It can't be that, you know, just take it out of the box and play with it. If if it's such a a discussion and something that we're trying to really do right by our kids, it's it's got to be something that's a little bit more and something that we're looking back on how we were raised and how the women and men who raised us were raised and the foul, oh, you know, the faults that happened in there. If we're having all of this examination, it can't quite be as plug and play as we think um it's it's crazy because i read a book last year because of course i did um i read <laughs> just one just, right? yeah really um I read, I read a book called small animals which is uh and the subtitle is parenthood in the age of fear um and it talks about it was written by a woman who left her who got charges pressed against her for leaving her kid in the car not on a hot day not for long but she left her kid in the car and she started doing um she and kind of an examination of what was going on and where she ultimately came down on the on the the core conceit of not just helicopter parenting but just in terms of you know how we find ourselves in a slight moment of overprotection and over analysis when it comes to parenting is that no one parent can just parent their kid like if another parent mm-hmm. isn't parenting that also for some reason or another is on you mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so if another parent yeah. says it's okay for my kids to go play after dark and you don't let your kid play after dark you think it's it's your failing you know yeah. And, and it's it's that kind of thing with this movie is is everybody is looking at her going, you know, oh, you'll be OK. Oh, yeah. You know, we lo- know you lost your husband. But look, you've got this wonderful thing. It's it's great. Right. It's like, well, no, it's not. It's 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 really, really hard. And if it doesn't seem easy for you, that's OK. It's not your failing. This is my thing that I got to go through. And I, I wonder, too, if it's just modern society and the way people are raising their children, because Way back when, say you lived in a smaller community, you could trust your neighbor to like say, hey, I'm going to go to the market. Um, Can you know, you look after the kids. Yeah. Fine. They would go out and they would play and whatever. And it was kind of more of a, was the term, it takes a village. Yeah. So it was like a more communal way of raising your children. And you had a community that dealt with your children generally with the same type of morals and rules and what have you Mm -hmm. and now there's so many different types of parenting and what is it the what is it um Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) co-parenting you know and like you know and like I live on a commune so there's so many different ways of doing it that it could just be a bit overwhelming you know and yeah, I just think it's modern society too. Yeah, you know, it's you know, it, it's kind of crazy because one of the ways, like, the, there's a lot of subtleties to the Emilia's character portrait in terms of like how you know in in terms of like where the threads are pulling um you know like just the state of the house the state of her clothes the state like her makeup her hair i'm i'm sure i'm i'm dead certain that um Essie davis is much more put together on a general state than they make her look in this movie like this movie it's it's kind of crazy cuz it probably takes a lot of work to make her look that 
fraught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even, you know, one of these little touches in the movie that I dig is even just in the way there's a scene early on where she goes to bed to like get herself off. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even just in that, like there's a weariness to it. There's no real arousal going on. She's almost like she just like kind of like tosses her underwear aside and and just kind of goes for it. And it's like, you know what? I just I just need to do this. I kind of get the impression that like she's out of bourbon. So this is what yeah. it's going to have to be tonight. <laughs> exactly, you know? There exactly. is no there is no sex in her sex. And that's no. how you know that she's really just really not there. No, she's re- yeah, she really isn't. She's just disconnected from everything. Yeah. Um, we haven't really been talking about the monster. Now, I am I don't know about you, but I'm a big uh fan of creature design, you know? Like I don't oh. like it when it just turns into something that's like scaly and boogeyman-y. Like if you come up with an interesting-looking creature that's unique, that's when you draw me in. This creature, oh. the Babadook, uh, I mean, first of all, the book in this movie is is incredible. Like the actual mm-hmm. book that they came up with, but the design of the Babadook is unbelievable. Yeah, it's and it's so simple. I have the DVD, so they talked to the artist who created the book, and um, incidentally, they were selling like I think ninety um, uh, copies of the book. Oh yeah. Um, and when it was going on sale, I was unemployed. Oh, no. <laughs> so sad. Can buy it? Rent or the book, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I will forever regret that. But anyway, um, I forget his name is Alex Jurus, uh, uh, I think, or something like that. I can't, I'm not pronouncing his last name properly. But he actually made the book. Like, he made it from paper. He cut everything out. It was handmade because wow. they wanted it to have that that handmade look so for me that was like i was like it's arts and crafts in the book too (laughs) (laughs) like i thought that was so cool because i you know as a kid i've always loved pop-up books if there's something i can do you know like pull a tab or like open a flap like that i love those things so to make a horror film from a pop-up book like that blew my mind so (laughs) Did he ever talk about the actual design of the creature, though, of like, you know, the thing with like the hat and the hands and all of that? Like, did that ever come up in any of your in any of your travels? Because, I mean, it's crazy. On the one hand, it is just kind of a classic boogeyman. It's not a, it's not overly complicated, but on the same time, it is really unique. Yeah. And I think he said that um, the Jennifer Kent had given him like an idea and then he had a few sketches and he's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go with my first sketch i i can't remember if he said anything else about it but um it makes me think of the cabinet of um dr calgary Cal- yeah, yeah yeah you know it just really brings that back and i think they kind of pull from that too in the film with the that dream sequence mm-hmm. of the, the black and white film so maybe they had that in mind um i don't recall him saying anything about I'm not sure. I I do need to to share a story in the middle of this since we're, you know, we're not doing a full like review. I don't mind taking digressions. And that will be kind of a feature of this show is that we'll take a few more tangents than we do um, on the regular matinee cast where I kind of like to keep it to life on the screen and what that makes us think of. Growing up, 
uh, one of those things that uh, kind of like made me not like scary movies and scary stories and uh, haunted houses. And one of the things that made me not like those things is I had a recurring boogeyman in my own nightmares as a child. And it came with uh, uh, like theme music or, or a feeling. I could always tell that the boogeyman was coming because there would be like some sort of a sound like we hear in the Babadook. And I would feel like other than my like my my blood would run cold or i'd get something to that effect and then sure enough this boogeyman my own personal babadook would show up in my nightmares and ultimately eventually scare me awake and the boogeyman looked like kind of a kind of looked like a photo negative of the babadook yeah it was white with dark eyes again wearing a top hat very long robes and almost always i would wake up right as it was like leaning into me um, That's terrifying. Oh, oh wait. Hold on. This gets better. So oh, no. several years ago, I want to say it was about 10 or 12 years ago, I was helping clear out some stuff at my at my parents' place and found some old photo albums and I was flipping through and flipping through and I happened upon a page and I was just like, ah! And my mom's like, what? I was like, what the hell is that? And she looks at it and she goes, oh, that's Halloween one year. I'm like, yeah, okay, what's going on? She goes, well, your dad is dressed as a pirate and I'm dressed as a ghost. I'm like, okay, uh, how old was I? She's like, oh, like one. I'm like, okay. And did you happen to like put me to bed dressed like that or something? She goes, when I came back from the party, I probably checked on you. It was my friggin' Babadook. Oh. My Babadook was my mom in a friggin' <laughs> Halloween costume that probably leaned over my crib and scarred my. I I, I want to see if I can find this photo in time for this sh- to put in the show notes. But I could not believe that my own personal Bob, like, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of Freudian stuff going on here. I'm sure. But you know, that my own personal nightmare monster that was always coming to get me happened to be my mom. And it kind of looks like the Babadook in reverse. (coughs) That's hilarious. Oh my God. And terrifying. You poor thing. Oh my God. (laughs) You know, we get down to the end of this movie, (laughs) back to what happens on the screen. Um, I think, Rewatching it yesterday, one of the things I realized I love the most about this movie, along with it being coming a metaphor for grief and a metaphor for, you know, anxiety and depression, um, I do really love the ultimate metaphor of this movie that the darkness will not be defeated. There's no killing the boogeyman. There's no silver bullet, you know, that all you can do is basically try to tame it. And ultimately yep. live with it. That's actually what that was in my notes. You just kind of just have to tame it and deal with it. And, you know, if it tries to get out of hand, you 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 nurture it like she is nurturing it in a mm-hmm. way and and trying to keep it at bay by, you know, I mean, they're feeding it worms, but, <laughs> you know, could be going to a therapist or whatever. And I, I have a note here, the ending of the film. I'm now calling it the baby exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> because he exercises his mother because you think it's the kid that's got the problem but it's obviously the mother and he gives her a baby exorcism <laughs> it's pretty good it's, pretty, so, it's, like, it's like there was something else left in there mom they didn't quite get it all yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no it's um 
it's unbelievable like the whole you know that, that it's i think that might be that that might be kind of the ultimate slam dunk of this movie is that most other horror movies are about slaying the beast most other horror mm-hmm. movies are about you know the final girl with the axe or they're about you know as i said the the, the werewolf and the silver bullet whereas this mm-hmm. movie is saying that this particular beast there just is no getting away from it you know it's it's not it's not a terminator that's just going to keep coming it's just there and it's just going to stay so it's mm-hmm. up to you like you say like how you how you decide how and when to feed the beast and mm-hmm. you know there's going to be times where it's it's not going to it's not going to just leave you be it's not going to let you have your moment of sadness or your moment of anxiety and then you know be able to count to 10 and go on with your day there are going to be times where it's really pulling on that chain and seems like it's just going to take over again and and it's up to you as to how you're going to live with it mm-hmm. yeah and i i really i think that's one of my favorite endings to a film because you you know it's not reality i mean you could get away you can drive off into the sunset you can slay the monster but that I feel like that was one of the most realistic endings to a horror film that I've ever seen, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because I mean, at, at the end of the day, when it comes down to um, when it comes down to Amelia, the reality of it is that something beautiful is linked with something terrible, you know, and and mm-hmm. and, and she's happy to have her son, really and truly, like as, as much as she's really fraught by the entire package that 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 the her husband and her son are are both you know packaged into um she certainly does love him but the fact of the matter is that something as beautiful as as her son is linked with something terrible like the violent death of the love of her life and you know you 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 have to deal with that sometimes there are a lot of times where incredible memories and really terrible memories are going to link together so it's like do you decide to package up that beautiful memory because it's tethered to something terrible Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so the key question then um you know when you were talking about this is one of the best films of the decade is for you what is it about this movie that encapsulates the last 10 years what is the the theme or the core or the idea that really makes it a movie of its time? Um, I think that it's the main character is a woman and she's dealing with uh, an issue that really isn't talked about. And I think that's really important, you know? Yeah. Um, Motherhood and fears of motherhood and it's supposed to be this way, but it's not this way. I think that for me, it, it really struck me among the other um, amazing things about this film was that 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 makes it one of the kind of standouts of the dec- decade because it's really not, you know, until um, Ari Aster and, and Hereditary and like, you know, Jennifer can't really like approached that whole motherhood and, and anxiety in such a unique way that, that that's why it stands out for me. I could be thinking about this the wrong way, but and, and people, please feel free to call me on on this bullshit if it is, in fact, bullshit. But I, I really, in my heart of hearts, believe that it was only in the last 10 years that we really started talking about mental health in a way that 
took away some of the stigma that made it a little clearer to understand that differentiated it from sadness and made it something that we're less intimidated by less dismissive of and don't get me wrong there's still a lot of people who are very dismissive of mental health but i really believe that when we get down to it when we you know when we kind of go further and further into the future and 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 you know better wellness all around that this is kind of the moment that we're going to look at in terms of how we were dealing with mental health and how we were expressing uh, our shortcomings in terms of helping people um, with mental health issues. And in that way, I think this film certainly like, and, and like, like you said, other, other ones like hereditary um, are, are really truly movies of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wager now we, we tended to end this segment on the, the matinee cast proper with a souvenir or something tangible or intangible that if we could take away from this movie and keep, I got to believe that we got to, we're both wanting to take the same thing. Uh, maybe, do you, I don't know. Do you want the book? No. Oh, okay. You know well, what? I okay. thought I wanted the book. <laughs> okay. But what? no, mine's different. What do you yeah. want? What do you want to take? Okay. I want the dog. Because, okay, the dog, okay, what is a dog? A dog is pure love. A dog wants to, like, be with you. And you you know that moment when she's just, and there's spoilers in this podcast, so she, the dog gets it, and yeah. she, she kills the dog because she's possessed with the Babadook. And, and I'm just like, oh, but that dog is pure love. And when he realizes that she's no longer herself, he's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, dogs like, know. Yeah, dogs can yeah. sense this shit. And I just wish I could rescue the little dog because Aww. he was so cute. And he loved that family. He loved Samuel. He loved Amelia. So, yeah, that was, I think, the dog okay. I would he was so cute. Okay, <laughs> no, it's a great, it's a really great dog. Um, to the surprise of nobody, I'm sure. Uh, I want, I want the book. Uh, that that book is gorgeous. Uh, you know, I I know that there are copies out there. Um, it it looks incredible. Like you said, it's all handmade. It's all so beautifully crafted. I I would probably have night, probably have more nightmares about my mom uh, if I read the book <laughs> at the wrong time of day. But damn it, I want a copy. Um, people that. That is the Babadook. It's available all over the place. Um, I, I, you know, check your check your Netflix, check your on demand. There's certainly Blu-ray copies to be found. It's incredible. It certainly is one of the best movies of the decade, and I'm so thankful that um, Carolyn brought it to the uh, Winchester Chronicles today. Come on back. We are going to do uh, something you're more familiar with. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side right after this. Winchester Chronicles, dispatch number one. She's Carolyn Morrison. I'm Ryan McNeil. We're both practicing social distance in this time of deep unrest, but we were watching movies and we've been talking about the Babadook. Um, 
you know, this is the time of the show where we talk about uh, further viewing of, of uh, movies and, and other media that one could go on to uh, if they enjoy the Babadook. Um, Carolyn says she has a lot uh, to talk about. I have a piddling pair of copies uh, of titles to talk about. So, Carolyn, why don't you get us started? What is one of the movies that you think that people should or could go on to if they enjoy the Babadook? Okay, well... Through my list, there was one that kind of stood out, and I rewatched it uh, earlier today. Hmm. Uh, have you seen Little Joe? No. Okay. Uh, let me. I should have. I didn't write the director down. Oh my god! How dare I? Jeez, um, man. Just to look it up. I uh, know what's wrong with me. With, with Ben um, Wishaw in it, Jessica uh, Hausner is uh, the yes. director. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Color me curious. So, yes. So it's basic. It's about this woman who works in this genetic lab where they're trying to create a flower that uh, when you smell it promotes happiness or for instance what is it they say um it's it 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 reproduces the mother hormone like that the hormone that bonds a, a mother and their child okay so it's supposed to feel good right so there's a lot of parallels to the Babadook and Little Joe because the scientist is uh, a mother of a boy. She's separated. So um, she's very closed off, and her coworker likes her, and uh, he wants to go out with her. But um, this flower is actually it's not as innocent as it it seems because oh, it's supposed man. to make you happy. But it's kind of like, I don't want to give too much away, right. but it's kind of like, um, okay, I'm going to say it. It's kind of like the um, the Body Snatchers type. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Line. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. There's a lot more to it. And also um, just uh, like the bond between her and her son, and it's just kind of not quite there. It's crazy. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the poster for this movie, and the color palette is bananas. It got the bright red of those. They almost yeah. look like poppies, and yeah. and the, like they're this mint green of their lab coats. Is the whole film with that kind of palette to it? Yeah, it's got a lot of bright colors. Like it's got like like uh, uh, vibrant colors. Like there's some pastels, and I also it kind of made me think of the Babadook because of the sets. They were very simple. Okay. Just the sets in the Babadook, like the you know the table and the chair when um, Samuel and Amelia are eating, it's kind of the same setup. You're sort of reminding me as well of uh, one of the last full episodes we did on this show was about um, the photograph by Stella Maggie and how when that film moved to uh, the house of a fisherman in New Orleans, how it was very very simple working class. Uh, decor how like the table was very sparse was like you know steel legs and kind of formica top to it and how there, there wasn't a whole lot on the walls there was like a calendar and maybe like a photograph pinned that kind of attention um it it, it adds a level of realism to the film because there's sometimes where you can go too far as much as i love a really lived in set like um like knives out or like little women there's also times where i like a film that feels really uh working class and work a day yeah and well yeah and that's and i've I've got that with um the babadook and then with uh little joe it's very 
it, they're both kind of storybook. Okay. Um, but it's they they have the same vibe, yeah. but the look slightly different. One is a bit more cleaner than the other, but yeah, they're, they're it yeah. It's just if you get a chance to see it, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But I got, yeah, I gotta find this movie. I'm so intrigued. Um, yeah. the first one I went back, I I did the easy move. Um, just kind of because I've been putting it off for so long. Um, Jennifer Kent is a director who I've been fascinated with since the Babadook. By the by, I should say right now, part of the thing I love about this episode is just being able to say the word Babadook over and over and over. It's so much fun to say. Um, so Jennifer Kent, um, I I'd actually hoped, you know, anybody who listens to the show probably knows that I'm a huge fan of Captain Marvel. And I was actually really hoping for a long time that she would get chosen for the job to direct Captain Marvel. Um, it didn't turn out that way, but alas. Um, but what I did do in light of the Babadook is I went back and rewatched her follow up film, The Nightingale. Did you see that thing? No, I haven't seen it. I've, I've heard it's really, it's quite harrowing. So, <laughs> Oh my God, it's a lot. So the movie, I, I, this movie is a fight. Um, if somebody told me, I, I usually kind of give people flack if they tell me that they quit on a movie, if they walked out or they turned it off um, after a certain oh, amount of time. Oh. If somebody told me that they turned this film off inside of 15 minutes, I would completely understand why, because, oh. oh, yeah, no, this movie is not in a mood to make you feel comfortable at all. Um, it's it's um, it's it's an Irish convict. Um, it's it's in what is now Tasmania in Australia, which back in the time was right. called it was called Van Diemen's Land. Um, right. And it's about a young woman who's looking for revenge um, against uh, an army officer for violent acts committed against her and her family. Um, it's intense. It it, it it is like people just keep on getting hurt in the most spectacular fashion. They keep on getting themselves into just such terrible circumstances and it just kind of keeps walking down this path until this woman can hopefully find satisfaction. And I, you, you know, you get to a certain point where you're like, you don't know if she's ever going to get it. Like she, she starts committing violent acts herself in a hope to get some solace. And the cool thing about the movie being called the Nightingale is the lead actor, um, Aisling Franciosi, she can sing like she sings these really pretty little like folk songs. And that's kind of how she kind of gets going along is some of the army officers where she's a convict are like, sing us that song. And she sings something really pretty. And she thinks that that's going to be able to get her out of the room. Well, no, it really makes me even more intrigued by Jennifer Kent as a director, because after the Babadook, she could have done anything really, mm -hmm. you know, like she could have. Uh, just kept on making more horror films. She could have upped her game and gone Hollywood. And, you know, I'm sure DC or Marvel would have loved to have hired her. Um, instead, she chooses, you know, four years after the Babadook in 2018 to tell this story, The Nightingale, um, which is is not an easy sell. Like, it, it didn't actually get theatrical play here in Canada. And I kind of know why now. Mm -hmm. But it's so handsome. 
and it's it it you know if you can get past some of its brutality it it really does kind of get its hooks into you it reminds me of did you ever see a few years ago there was a new version of um withering heights i want to say it was by andrea arnold did you see that one no i didn't it was by andrea arnold um nobody famous really like the the Catherine in it is played by somebody named Kaya Scordelario. Um, oh, okay. You know, who was on, like, she was in the Maze Runner. Um, she okay. Was, she was on Skins, apparently. But the thing about both the Nightingale and that version of Wuthering Heights is they're quite true to their time. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, like when we're looking back into, like, stories from the 1800s, it was not a great time <laughs> for oh. anybody. And it especially wasn't a great time for women. So these stories of really hard living and of brutality and of violence, they're probably quite accurate. The question becomes, how much time do you want to spend in that unpleasant world? And what do you ultimately gain from it? Oh. I appreciated my time with the Nightingale. Uh, it did not serve me well this week. Um, so I'd, I'd say maybe be cautious. And yeah, if somebody were to tap out after 10 minutes, I would totally understand why. Um, what's okay. another movie that you talked about, that you came across in uh, follow-up to The Babadook? Well, you know, when we were talking, just kind of popped into my head. And I'm like, of course. It's one of my favorite films. I don't know it's kind of uh, an odd favorite. But you were talking about how no one was really... Um, buying what Amelia was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, it made me think of Martyrs. Oh, my uh, God. I, you've seen that. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No, you, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because um, the lead character, was her name Anna? I can't remember. But um, she was like, this happened to me. This happened to me. This happened to me. And people were like, yeah, yeah, sure. We get it. We get it. This happened to you. And not all is not until that person, um, her best friend, went through it herself. Did she, uh, uh, Lucy? Did she really understand what happened to her best friend? You know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, it's just kind of you, you, you're kind of dealing with something that you you're that is that you you haven't dealt with before. So that kind of jumped into my head. But, it's, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, you know, I, I almost thought that you were going to say that that was a movie that you came to when I said that that uh, the Nightingale is one that people might tap out of after ten minutes. Oh. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why I love that movie. Sometimes if I'm just in a really, I'm really bummed out, I'll watch that. I know it's insane. I've said it before. <laughs> I stand by it. It's like making <laughs> yourself feel sicker. I get it. Yeah, yeah like, maybe. Like, I just, don't know. Just yeah. throw it all up. You'll feel better. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hereditary, we've mentioned it before, but that's like a good companion too. Yeah. We did an episode on, on Hereditary, episode 201. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to listen to that. Also one of the best horror films of the decade. Um yeah, I do. If you enjoy that show, uh, listen for the moment where I tell Carolyn off mic how the movie ends because she got so freaked out that she left ten minutes early. Um, but oh, that's right. I think I saw a tweet of hers, <laughs> <laughs> but she said she left. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, you're you're in it. I mean, I got it because when you get to the end of that movie, it's really going crazy. So there there could come a point where somebody's like, "Nope, I'm done. That's it. I've had it. Forget it. I don't care that there's only ten more minutes. I'm done." And the thing is, it like it kept on you know getting crazier over those last ten minutes. Um, but Hereditary, uh, you tell like, what is it about that movie that does it for you? But you know, it, it's incredible. But why that movie? I think it's the uh, um, over, like, just the, the notched up uh, performance of Tony Collette as well, mm. who is also robbed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. going to say that. Um, but, yeah, like, it just, I think the two women and they're dealing with their grief and their anger and they have both have absent husbands, you yeah. know, either physically or emotionally or, you know, I think it was the other way around, like, Tony Collette or... Um, she was not her character was not open to her husband and he tried but he was just it was just not happening the the grief had basically overwhelmed this family yeah and um i think like it's just and her relationship with her son was very strained as well so yeah, because yeah, it's a, of it's another movie where the know? kids are just a little much yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're a bit much so yeah i think that's a a Pretty, I mean, after you watch those that double bill, <laughs> you're going to need a drink. <laughs> For starters, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other movie I thought about in, in um, Companion with the Babadook uh, is something recent, which, uh, hey, it's uh, apparently it's available on demand now because nobody gets to go out and see anything anymore and studios are deciding that this is a way to make money. Um, what did you think of the new version of the Invisible Man. I haven't seen that yet. What? That's your thing. What are you doing, man? How have I seen this and you haven't? I think it was the night. Uh, oh, was the night I was supposed to go to the screening? I had something to go to. Oh, I remember. And, and, yeah, yeah, I missed um, Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I dig it because it really gets into the meat of emotional terrorism. It really digs into how a toxic person can really get into your head and really ruin your life um and and it's not even a question of you know fight like that that, that's the you know that's the thing with the babadook is that the mother uh, um um, in in the babadook it's not like the family is not trying to push that monster back into the classic they're trying with all their might they just don't stand a chance and it's the same sort of way if you get into any sort of relationship whether it's a friendship or if it's a family member or certainly if it's a romantic relationship with a toxic person it's not always a question of desire to push them away it, it's just they have so many tricks and so many ways to get into your head that even when they're not there they still very much seem like they're there um it, it, you know, there's times where it kind of wails hard on that metaphor, but for how cheap and schlocky the Invisible Man could have been, um, mm-hmm. the actual execution of this new version uh, by Bloomhouse was really, really incredible. Um, after I saw the film, I actually came across 
a really interesting review by a critic I admire named uh, Noah Gattel. He was having associations with um, his father who had passed away. And when he was younger, his father was abusive. Uh, it was emotionally abusive and emotionally distant. Um, and their relationship was quite strained because of it. Um, and he had dealt with a lot of that. But, you know, when his father passed away, it all kind of started to manifest itself in whole new ways. And he was never really piecing together why. Then he went to the screening of The Invisible Man and he actually had uh, an encounter with a, a, a fellow patron who was like talking through the movie. And when that patron like spoke to him, um, it all kind of like came back in a flood. It's an incredible review that I will link to in the show notes. But it's it's it, it's one of those things that I love about, you know, about these movies, about things like The Babadook and about Hereditary and The Invisible Man is, you know, it, it they don't really have to be much to get their money. All they have to be is kind of have a few great jump scares, you know, get some pretty looking people into some scary looking situations and they'll make their, their 40 or 50 million. When they try a little harder, when they come up with a, a clever idea or some handsome design, um, and certainly when they get into some subtext, that's when I think that that horror is really at its best. Uh-huh. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say that The Invisible Man really belongs in the same league as stuff like The Babadook or Hereditary or Us or, or Get Out. Um, but it's it's a really well done film. So I do hope you get to, you know, as I said, it's making the rounds on demand now. So you can you can throw a few bucks at it and rent it and watch it at home while we're all in seclusion. Yeah, actually, I plan to do that because I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd like to see it because nice. they keep hearing good things about it. Yeah, so. well, I, I hope I haven't like oversold it to you. Oh, um, no, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Take us home. What's one more that you got as a uh, good extra viewing after the Babadook? Well, Jennifer Kent had mentioned this one, too. Sure. But, and I actually rewatched it the other day. It was uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, yes, 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 Have yes. You... Oh, I love that yeah. movie so much. That's another one of the best movies oh, of the I... decade. That one, I would be like, I'm going to tie my tubes myself. <laughs> As my sister said, when we watched it, she's like, I do a runner. I go, what? She goes, I do a runner. She's like, I get the hell out of there. <laughs> I had a kid like that. Like, this kid, this is like the flip side, though. Like, I, I mean, this is a woman just engulfed in grief, mm-hmm. you know? And that kid just was... I don't even know what you could call him. Uh, like, I can think of several words. <laughs> yeah, he was just the most inhuman, inhumane being. Like, and I, I know, did you read the book? Because I haven't read the book. Apparently there is a book. Uh, uh, there is a book. They, I, I haven't read it, but I thank you for the reminder. And now I will. Because yeah. I was just like, I want to read the book because I need to feel, I need to get the internal processes of what's happening here. No like shit. Whole, but yeah, I feel like that is the Babadook times 300. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, we're not doing this deliberately, but that's another film directed by a woman. That that one is Lynn Ramsey. Um, is there like, I mean, is there something, is there something to the female eye when it comes to horror films or, or, or films or like thrillers? Like we need to talk about Kevin. Is there something extra is there something more empathetic is there like you know when you see these kinds of movies is there like a keystone in there that you recognize well i think 
I think it's the uh, assumptions that we're, as women, we're all supposed to feel maternal. Mm. I, to me, that's what I think, because um, there's a scene that really struck me, in, and we need to talk about Kevin, when she gives birth to Kevin, and they're in the hospital room, or I think it's either a hospital room or her bedroom, and, you know, her, um, her husband's cuddling the baby, and she's just sitting there like, ugh, you know? Like, <laughs> Can you wipe him off first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like she had no connection to this child. So, to me... I feel like that's a more realistic um, representation of motherhood. Motherhood, because you can't you can't assume that you're going to be connected to this child immediately. Yeah. Like it, this traumatic experience that happens to your body, and then you're supposed to immediately fall in love with this little zygote that popped out of you. <laughs> like, like this is, uh, and I think that that's. It's the fear, so it makes me think of Prevenge as well. Like, you know, when mm. um, the director, she was actually pregnant and directing this pregnant. And there's these fears of of motherhood and what it could be and what it could look like and what it is. So I think maybe that's why women, female directors kind of have a an edge with that theme. You it's, know, that's my guess. I, I, I think so. I think, I mean... You know, not to not to speculate and talk out of my ass, but I I do believe that men don't comprehend fear the way that women do. You know, it's just it's just it's it's the world that we walk through versus the world that you walk through. And then, I mean, listen, there's like we can go down the line. There's 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 more and more levels to that, depending on, you know, what sort of woman you identify as. And, and I think that's the thing is like if you can, ex- you 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 can express it better if you truly know it, you know. Um, and and I, it's just it's just a thought, you know. And and that's the thing is that there's there's not a boatload out there of of genre films and and kind of thrillers that are directed by women. I mean, you know, there's shit. There's just a lack of stories by women in general but i think that's kind of why i've been making it my mission to chase them down but especially when it comes to horror there's not a ton although so that i think is why when they show up they've got that little something extra that taps into a a deeper level it's true we do experience things like we experience fears we experience anxieties obviously and it's it's kind of sad like i mean we have men that you know such as yourself who get it and there are some men who just don't so yeah it's just a different experience it's just a different experience and i feel like there's also a fear like there's some men are just afraid of the fact that women can give birth Mm mm-hmm well i I think that there's a fear you know of that well just on it just like you know the whole thing it's so, that it's terrifying really like mm-hmm. just just top to bottom you know for, like forget about the fact that that we that men are afraid that that women can procreate and we can't and maybe that's a thing i actually hadn't really thought about that mm-hmm. but you very well could be right but just in general that is one just top to bottom terrifying experience you know in terms of just the huge amount of things that can go wrong and what yeah. that's going to what that's going to do, not to mention, you know, you get a story like this with we need to talk about Kevin where everything goes right. And that's just the beginning. You know, it's like it's after that where shit starts to go wrong and things start to get terrifying. 
And it's like, well, now we're in it. You know, what are you, you going to do? Yeah. Like, leave the kid on a doorstep and run? <laughs> you know? Um, it's No, that, that, that's a, that's, that is a great movie. And I'm so glad you mentioned that one. Um, you know, we, we would be doing an episode about that. But part of the key to this whole series is I want to try to go back and talk about movies that we didn't talk about over the last 10 years. And, yeah. you know, I managed to talk about Kevin. Go figure. Um, thank you so much. Those are some great movies um, <laughs> that you have brought to the table. And that is our first dispatch of the Winchester Chronicles. I'm so thankful to Carolyn for coming by. Come on back on Monday, April 3rd for our second dispatch. We will be talking about the 2013 uh, Coen Brothers film Inside Lewin Davis. Carolyn, uh, her writing can still be found at uh, View from the Dark. Where can people find you on Twitter? Very I'm nice. I'm at Pixie. In case people didn't get that, there will be a link to the show notes. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes of the Matineecast proper by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, anywhere you find a podcast, you'll find my show. If you don't, please let me know, and I'll put it on your platform of choice. Along with feedback, if you've got a film from the last decade that you want to talk about and we haven't done a show, uh, and you want to do a Winchester Chronicle on it, please let me know. Uh, Ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Carolyn, any final thoughts? Watch The Babadook and... Uh and immerse yourself in that insane uh, emotional performance by Essie Davis. I mean, it's a fabulous movie and it is one of the best of the decades. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, by the way, the first show of the, is it the Winchester Pup? <laughs> the Win- yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're in thank the Winchester waiting for everything to blow over. So, uh, you know, we'll have to dispatch yeah. the Chronicles from here. And uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. This is one of the best films of the decade. And I really hope people watch it. Turn out all the lights and just... Turn it up loud and keep yourself over to the Babadook. For Carolyn, I'm Ryan. Wash your hands and call your person. You're my